When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 22 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Latini Creative Solutions. With over 20 years of experience in design, print, and marketing, specializing in creative solutions that capture your voice and deliver your message. From supporting and energizing your already established brand to developing your company's identity and marketing campaigns, Latini Creative Solutions provides design that is thoughtful, focused, and creatively executed. If you've taken a look at the Mistress Carrie social media pages, my upcoming website, mistresscarry.com, cocktails in the war room, or anything that you see with the podcast, it's been because of Latini Creative Solutions that it all looks so good. So log on to latinicreative.com for more details. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by the Maine Hair Lounge. There's a reason why my logo is my hair. I've had purple hair for decades. And everyone always asks me, how do you get it that way? And how does it stay so healthy? And my answer is always Linda at the Maine Hair Lounge. If you want to change up your hair, if you want something fresh and new, if you're getting ready for a special event like a wedding or a photo shoot, or if you just want to look cool, go see Linda at the Maine Hair Lounge. Check out her website, mainehairlounge.com, and that's M-A-N-E. Or you can check her out on Facebook and Instagram. So if you want rocking hair, go see Linda at the Maine Hair Lounge. I also want to take the time to say what's up to Lindsay, Christina, and Robert. They are the latest recipients of the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass, which you can get on Patreon. If you're looking for more Mistress Carrie in your life, especially the behind-the-scenes stuff, find out what happens backstage at Cocktails in the War Room. Get details early on the podcast, exclusive photos, polls, blogs, and very soon discounted merchandise in the Mistress Carrie online store at mistresscarrie.com. If you just want a little extra something, get yourself a Mistress Carrie backstage pass. Just go to patreon.com slash mistresscarrie. And by the way, with the holidays coming up, it makes an awesome gift. Okay, episode 22 of the podcast is a special one. I've known Josh Todd from Buck Cherry for a couple of decades now. When you think about a band that's the soundtrack to a party, a barbecue, if you're having a bash, Buck Cherry's that band that you want playing. They're a down and dirty rock band, and that is why I have always loved them. And Josh and I have known each other for so long and been there through all the ups and downs of our careers. I remember the first time he played me Crazy Bitch, after we got off a private jet in Toronto with Daryl McDaniels for Live 8. He was like, what do you think of this song? And I was like, I think that song just became my new theme song. Over the years, if there was a party, a concert, an event, Buck Cherry was always there to play it for us. 
So I had a chance to talk to Josh about WAF going off the air, how he's dealing with COVID-19. We talked about his childhood. We basically talked about everything. So if you're a fan of rock and roll, you got to be a fan of Buck Cherry. And if you're not a fan yet, you will be. Allow me to introduce you to Josh Todd from Buck Cherry. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hello, Mr. Josh Todd. What's happening? Oh my God, it's so good to see your face. Yeah, it's nice to see you. Yeah, it's been a while and uh, a lot has gone on. We were just catching up. and Yeah, I, I, I was like, oh my God, it's so good to see you. I can hear you good. Don't talk about too much because I want to hit record because I don't want to miss anything. Yes. Um, okay. Are you in Nashville right now? I'm in Nashville making an amazing record. Uh, uh, it's our ninth record and we're out here... Uh, uh, Marty Fredrickson is producing again, and he's got a studio here, so it just made more sense for all of us to come here and, and do all of our stuff. And we're like way ahead of schedule. I gotta after I get off this call, I'm gonna go sing a song, and um, then I have one more to do tomorrow, and then I'm just doing touch ups, and then I'm out of here. You know, and everything's going really great. It's such a great record. We we uh, we worked really hard. Like we were supposed to be touring this whole year because we dropped war paint war paint last year our our eighth record and we were going to just tour a while on that and uh, start accumulating new songs you know but it wasn't like a full you know full-on uh record songwriting session that would you know we usually do and it was like oh all the shows are wiped out so let's concentrate on this record and so we really concentrated on making just an incredible record. We wrote about 26 songs for a 10 song record and really paid off. It's amazing how what's happened with COVID has, has derailed. I mean, with a, I try when I talk to you guys, I know you're making these like gun to the head motions right now. When I talk to people like you, I always want people listening to the podcast to kind of understand the business side of things a little bit more because it's really hard when we as fans, we, you know, your record comes out, we get all excited, you release the show dates, we get the tickets, we come, we order the beers at the bar, we get the t-shirts, like we're on that end of it. But yeah. you, for so many years, this 
this band has been your baby and you are so involved with the other side of the business. I mean, you guys all have agents and managers and record company people that you have to deal with, but you are very involved with all things Buck Cherry. Yes. So if you don't mind, um, I'm the last man standing that. Yeah. So, (laughs) so it's like, let's, let's talk about what your plan was and then how it turned into you being ahead of schedule in Nashville, working on this new record with Marty Fredrickson. So you released war paint last year and in your head, you guys were going to tour in all of 2020 on war paint. Yeah, we were going to tour, but not as heavy as we did uh, in 2019 because we dropped the record then. We did 154 shows in 2019 on War Paint. So we did do a lot of touring behind it. But then we were going to do, we were going to come into 2020 and we were going to get some touring in, but also create little pockets of time where we would, you know, do some songwriting at home and, you know, kind of, um, get a body of work going like that while we were, you know, out working and, and still promoting war paint. You know, and that's, that's how you do. guys have always done it, right? Always Is that done it like that. You, yeah. you start song ideas while you're on the road, which I'm assuming that whole process is inspirational because you're kind of away from your families. You're, uh, you're neck deep in your fans every day. And yeah. you're also really tight as a band because you're playing together every day. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, but like you're saying, you know, there's not all the family time that you that occupies your day when you're at home. So you have a lot more time to, you know, from a creative standpoint to to craft songs and and spend time on them and, you know, uh, lyric write and all that kind of stuff. So when this year did you guys pull the plug on everything? How far back are we talking in the covid disaster? Man, it was like. I got to say it was like March 2020 where it was just like every, every week, every, every morning I'd wake up, I'd be like, uh, all these shows are wiped out. You know, Canada's wiped out. Uh, all these shows next month. I'm like, what? Like, okay. So now we have a whole month of no, of you know, no, no touring. So then it was like, okay, shift gears. I'd call Stevie and I like, let's just, let's occupy the time. Let's be productive. Let's, uh, work on songs. And so, we just start working on songs and then next month would come around and it was like, yep, yeah, this whole month's wiped away. It looks like, uh, they've closed the borders, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And it was just, uh, a nightmare, you know, that just kept going on. And, and then, you know, we've been doing all kinds of things outside of music to scramble, to make extra money. And it's, it's been crazy. And if I told you what my hustle this year, you'd just be like, what, you know, <laughs> Let me just let me just tell you this one thing. Since I've been in quarantine and I've made a record, I have become a licensed phlebotomy technician as well. Sh- shut the fuck up. Are you yep. serious? I'm dead serious. I actually actually before I got on here, I just got the email because I have already I I went to school, I passed my national exam, I've already done my externship and then I just got my license and that came in my email and I've been calling my manager. I'm like, listen, if I'm not working till April of next year, I'm getting a job. I, I can't sit around anymore, you know? Well, that's so- why I want to talk to you about this because I think that we are at a point where people are starting to realize that there are different tiers of, 
I don't want to say rock stars, but there's different tiers of fame, right? And absolutely, there are bands, hardworking, out on the road, kick ass bands, and 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 that need to still tour. There are bands that have songs that are or or artists, I should say, that have songs that you guys could never, you never have to get out of bed. That the songs make you money, whether you do anything or not. I am not set for life. Well, well, that's what I'm trying to get to is that I think people with COVID are starting to understand that just because we buy your records and just because we wear your T-shirts, it doesn't mean that you guys, you're, you know, living like Hugh Hefner for the rest of your lives and don't have to quote unquote work that especially rock bands. Part of your whole thing is being able to get out on the road and and play in these shows. And I mean, you that's our livelihood right there yeah that there's certain artists that can just release a song you know like like taylor swift right taylor swift's music is going to get played on the radio and licensed in movies and all of that stuff and taylor swift literally never has to fucking get out of bed right now she would have to fire a ton of people and maybe get rid of a house or two but she's never got to work again if she doesn't want to yeah, I mean, that's youth and that's pop music and that's a whole different Well, that's what game, I'm trying you know? to show the difference. And I think one of the things that people like about this podcast is that we can we can pull the veil back a little and really kind of get people to understand, especially when we start talking about the Save Our Stages stuff wrapped into the Heroes Bill that Congress has stalled in the aid package, is yeah. that we're starting to see the after effects and that a lot of bands who have songs on the radio, who are out touring, that we look at like rock stars, you're not just doing it for the love of it. It's that you guys, this is how you make your living. And it's been so long now that these things are starting. Even people that were prepared for emergencies and were smart with their money and had savings accounts, that things are starting to trickle down now. I have have savings, but like when you're talking about, oh, we're going to just hit you with, you're not going to have a year of income, like a whole year. You're not going to have what you normally make at all, like not even close. And it's like, wow, that that's a lot. That's a lot to cover a year. Some people can't even cover a month. Some people can't even cover a couple months, you know, or six months. And it's like, I, yeah, I can't do this a year and a half, a year I can sustain, but I'm like on the, I'm on the edge now, you know, and now it's like, oh, we might get back to touring in April. I'm like, what? Yeah. You know, like, no way. I'm I'm going up work five jobs. I I have I have kids. I have like, you know, just like what everybody else has, you know? Yeah, and it's you know, it's not just an exclusive problem to the United States, but with bands, um, you know, I had a great conversation with Will and Troy from Evanescence about this, and then Kevin Martin from Candlebox, the same thing was on an episode talking yeah. about Our entertainment business here in the United States is by and large our biggest export to the rest of the world. The amount of money that is propped up in the American economy by entertainment, which I think a lot of people don't look at as essential, right? That, you know, first responders, medical personnel, especially right now, they are the most essential people you you know did you ever yeah. value the the, the cashier at the supermarket i know that's what i was going to say now. and so i have i've been working through the whole pandemic i took odd jobs starting in march i was working and writing songs i mean i 
I, I am not good not working. So yeah. I, I like to work and I, and I have no problem humbling myself and showing up at any job and just working. I don't care because I've always worked. I've worked since I was 13, you know, so like, I'm I think that's work. part of the reason why you and I have always gotten along is that we have a very, very similar uh, work <laughs> ethic and we just look at the world that way. That we're just like, hey, we got to do whatever we got to do, man. Right. That's right. I don't care. I'm Josh Todd, the singer. I could give a shit. I just want to go out and I got to stay busy. Yeah. And and also, you know, you're talking about you have a family. That's right. And And, you know, the way that the entertainment business now with movies not being able to come out in theaters and concerts not being able, you know, to happen. All of the jobs that trickle down that are propped up by this entertainment industry are the the effects. I don't think people really understand the millions of people. I'm talking union laborers, truck drivers, electricians, sound guys, the people that make the instruments, the The crews, the The technicians. um, yeah, all yeah. of that. And these are incredibly specifically trained people that have really good jobs. Like, like I ask the bands all the time, what is having a good sound guy? What is having a guitar tech? How does that change the quality of your performance? It changes it's everything. It's huge. And, you know, those guys, they make a career out of that. They're, they're on the road. They're lifers. They're on the road all the time. They go from tour to tour, bands to bands. And that's what they do. That, that's what they chose to do. And that's what they're, they want to do. And, you know, I, I, I always go through a gratitude list every day, you know, to, in my head. And, and one of my gratitude lists has always been like being able to employ a bunch of people, you know, like getting to that level where I have been employed people for let's see uh how many years in the game have we been in uh 21 years so 21 years we've been employing people annually you know um you're a small business yes and now it's like they all have to go uh, find other things outside of music too you know they're all struggling as well why did you choose phlebotomy you know (laughs) I never went to college. It, it's a bizarre thing. So I never went to college. I don't have a college education. I'm not going to like go, oh yeah, I'm going to go just cram four years of school into my head right now. You know, I, I just, um, I, I went to this, uh, this blood bank. When, whenever I get blood, I always go to this place called Quest Diagnostics. And um, cause I go there cause it's close to my house and I got to fast and I don't want to like I just want to do it first thing in the morning. So I get there at 6 a.m. This is when I do my annual physical. And this big, tall, like tattooed guy came in one day and he took my blood and I literally didn't even feel it. Like I couldn't believe the touch he had. And like, and uh, so I just started talking to him. And, you know, of course, I'm like really tattooed. So I have to think about an occupation where I can you know, go out there, look and be, the way you look, and- look the way I look and, and, and do, and, and find some kind of, um, thing that I do that, um, I'm interested in. And I just kind of started getting interested in it. I know it's really weird, but, um, and then I started doing research and I'm just like, Oh, I, I went to school for, it was only two weeks. And, you know, we, we, uh, we started sticking each other, like after the second day and, Obviously, you're not afraid of needles because you're literally one of the most tattooed people (laughs) I know. 
not afraid of needles, but when you're getting stuck like five or six times a day, you know, I really started getting over that. We all had like super achy arms and we're sticking each other in hands and arms. And, and anyways, um, I had a really good instructor and, and it was, I, I really enjoyed learning new things. You know, that's why I always like writing uh, new records because it's like building something from nothing and it's really exciting for me. And, and so I really enjoyed like getting out of my comfort zone and doing something completely different. So that, that part of it was really fun. Uh, taking the written exam was like, you know, When's the last was, time you took an exam on anything. Yeah. This is the thing I have, I had convinced myself that I was terrible at school because when I was in school, I was always under the influence of some kind of narcotic or something. So I was not good in school for a reason. I wasn't really present, you know? And so now I've been sober, uh, you know, 26 years. And so, but I still had this thing where I'm not going to do good on this thing. And I, and I went in and there's 120 questions and you got two hours to do it. And I passed first time. So, you know, I was like, yes, you know, but I maybe you are a better test taker than you thought. (laughs) I don't know. I, I studied like four hours a day for like five days straight before I went in there. So, you know, I was pretty prepared, which is good. So now somebody could go to donate blood or, you know, go to get tests or whatever. And yeah, Josh Todd from Buckcherry is going to walk in with the needles. I'll take your blood. I'm, I'm pretty good <laughs> at it. I've only, I've only like failed like twice out of like, I've had like over 50 vena punctures. So I'm, I'm all right. I can do all right. Um, we didn't really have a chance to, to catch up before I turn the microphones on, but, um, I want to apologize because it keeps coming up in the podcast that WAF going off the air on the 21st of February, we're convinced now it's triggered the apocalypse, right? That the world (laughs) just went to shit because of that. So the fact that you're now a phlebotomist, we can blame part of that on WAF not being on the air anymore. Yeah. I was like, I need a, I need a pandemic proof job. I can't be doing this. So I was like, I'll go in there with my mask on. I don't give a shit what's going on. I'll I'll go in anywhere. We didn't get a lot of notice when we found out that the station, the the, the transmitter and the signal had been sold. And we tried to reach out to as many bands as we could on no notice. I mean, the last thing I expected going into work, you know, the Tuesday after President's Day was finding out that a legacy 50-year rock station was getting taken off the air in a couple days. So I haven't had a chance to catch up with you since that happened. And so I wanted to talk about some of your early memories of WAF and kind of what the station meant to you because I didn't get a chance to get you on the air to talk about it when the station was still there. Yeah, you know, I think the most memorable thing about it was the um, the big radio shows that they would put put on. And when we when we were a part of that, it was man, that was that was a, an incredible moment. You know, I mean that that's that's what you dream about when you're an artist. You know, having a hit song, having a song played on radio. You know, um, lit up and crazy bitch and sorry at the time. You know, and um, and uh going and playing those festivals where you're kind of in the mix with all your peers and you know and it's insane the 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 show's going off and and meeting you of course and doing uh our interviews and getting to know you over the years has been incredible and um that's what i remember the most about it for sure i mean it's 
you know, I remember all those different shows and I, I remember Loco Bazooka in 2006 because um, it was at the big shed, the big outdoor amphitheater. And I literally was leaving for Iraq like four days or five <laughs> days later. And I had to, I would been training to get ready to go and had to wear all of my body armor and stuff, which weighed like 30 or 40 pounds. That's right. And I remember coming into your dressing room and you guys were like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and you were like, you guys, you're totally wearing that to introduce us. And I remember going out into this giant crowd at local bazooka of like 20 something thousand people to introduce you guys. And as I'm walking off the stage from introducing Buckcherry, you like punch me in the chest because i had the 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 vest on Did with I? the rifle plates yeah because yeah, remember that because it was like this thick like you know the bulletproof vest yeah, and you're like big... gave me the shot in the chest yeah. and i was like okay i can't take josh todd's punch <laughs> to the chest i'm not gonna be good taking a rifle round to the chest oh man that's crazy you would uh you know we played qatar uh which is a huge military base in in the middle east Yep. Yeah, it's where it's where all of our armed forces come in. They all hub into there, and then they go out to their separate uh, places of I don't know their posts or whatever you want to call them. But you would have loved it. Like we got to go into the canine section and the artillery section, and it was it was really fascinating. Every time I get a chance to talk to um, a, a band member that has gone overseas and played military bases and played for our troops. I always want to get their perspective on it because it's a different kind of show. It's uh it's pretty amazing. Um one thing that was kind of weird was uh they only have a two drink minimum when they're on the base. So they were pretty alert when we went on. They were re- very sober, if, you know. If they are allowed to drink at all. <laughs> right. A lot if of they're them they're not. Yeah. For sure, but it was it was intense because when we were walking on stage there was the the main guy, I don't know if he's a sergeant or he's higher up than the sergeant, but whoever the guy is, the big guy there. The commander, probably. The commander, yeah. yeah the, he was saluting us. Like everybody was in full salute when we were walking on stage. It was like heavy. It was like, wow, this is incredible. The, the craziest thing about Qatar is like, it's so oil rich with money, right? There's so many, there's so much money there. It's ridiculous. You, you drive into the, to the military station from the airport and it's like Lamborghinis and Rolls Royces and like the and Ferraris everywhere. It's, it's insane. like Kuwait the same way. And all of the Emirates yeah. are like that. If you go to Dubai or Abu Dhabi, it's like, you know, you and I are talking about dealing with a pandemic and, you know, odd jobs and whatever, like, that level of that's fuck you money. That's a whole, it's insane. You can't even imagine that level of wealth. If you're a Qatarian male at birth, you are a millionaire at birth. So if you're born, if you're a male Qatarian and you're born, you're a millionaire at birth. And if you're a female, I think you're half a million at birth. Yeah. Something crazy. You got to marry good. <laughs> you got to marry insane. good. Um, there is no more grateful crowd, right? The, than, a, than a military crowd when you make the effort because oh, they know how hard it is to go and logistically get there to play those shows. So there's just, they're, they're so grateful and humble that you would root your tour that way to show up over there and play for them. They're so grateful and, and they're so gracious. And yeah, I mean, they, they treated us like kings everywhere we went on the base uh, the day before. And 
and the day after. And, you know, the show of course was like, so, so fun because, you know, we were, we had come all that way, you know, and it was just an, an incredible adventure, you know? And I remember I, I had a, I had a cold, I was sick. So I was like, I had a cold before I got on the plane and I'm like, I am not missing this show. It is good. <laughs> I'm, I don't care what is, what is up with me. And it was weird. Like before I went on, everything just happened and my whole, my whole sinuses, everything opened up and it was like amazing. You know, we, we killed it. And then that was it. It was, it was great. And to get a chance to kind of, um, you know, you're talking about going and seeing the canines and all of those facilities as, as people that aren't in the military, like you and I aren't to kind of get, you know, the, they get to see you at your day job, right? They come to the yes. concerts, they see you do what you do, but yeah. to then get off stage and be able to go and kind of travel around and learn their jobs and see Amazing. what they do. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. And they take a lot of pride and, and they're very um, disciplined and it's really inspiring, you know, to see what's going on behind the scenes and uh, you know, how it makes you feel really secure when you come home and you know that, you know, you're an American and, and, and they're looking after you, you know, they're, they're protecting us and it's, it's awesome. Kind of makes you feel like shit about yourself too, because you're, you're, you know, with 19 and 20 year olds that are way more uh, squared away, trained, responsible than you and I ever were at that age. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's cool too. Like when you talk to them, you know, as soon as you start asking them about their job, they're very technical. It all becomes about business. And the fact that you are a rock singer goes completely out the window and it just becomes all about you know, their job. And I love that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that, um, we've made the comparison in, on the podcast before that the similarity is you know, with the military and, and with the musicians is that you guys are always traveling. You're away from your homes a lot. It's a yeah. specialized skill and it requires that same kind of work ethic and, you know, we, we've stumbled across so many examples of, of guys in bands that have dads that were in the military. Yes. And are you that way too? Did you have military in your family? Yeah. My father was in the army. He went to See? Vietnam. Yeah. My uncle was in the air force. Yep. Do you attribute some of the means, things that your dad yeah. Do you, do you attribute a lot of that to the work ethic that you have and then the success of Buck Cherry because of the way that your dad was because of his military training? You know, that's a, that's a tough one because, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I guess you could say, you could say that. I don't know. I've never really thought about it that way. You know, um, it's more about my grandpa. My grandpa really kind of taught me, uh, he was kind of like my father figure. Cause my, my father passed away when I was really young, when I was 10. But, um, like my grandfather really taught me, um, the, the, the value of money and what hard work that you have to work hard. And like, so, like I said, he started, uh, I started working at 13 on a farm in Oklahoma when my, my mother would fly my sister and I there as unaccompanied minors whenever we were out of school because she had to work full time. And so here I was in a small town. I, I grew up in Southern California, but I was always in a small country town. And my grandfather was a school teacher and a wheat farmer. And so he, uh, 
he would uh, give me jobs. So I would work all summer with him doing odd jobs, fixing fences, plowing fields, doing all the things that, that we do around the farm and, uh, and then tending roofs and all this stuff. And then he would, uh, he would pay me. And then we would go to the cattle uh, sale, cattle auction, which was really interesting. And um, I would buy a couple of baby calves with my money, right? And then my grandfather would take care of the baby calves throughout the winter, all the way through the summer. And then when I would come back the following year, we would go sell them for more money. And he would show me how to make profit from, you know, my earnings. So he'd say, see, you bought this cow at like, whatever, let's say $300. And we sold it for $700, you know, and here's your profit and here's your money. And then we would continue to do that. And like, so he was, he was a really amazing guy. He really, um, I miss him a lot. You know, he, he taught me a lot. Those are important lessons at that age too. And you know, directly correlate to what we're talking about surviving COVID and, and trying to navigate this uncertain economy and, you know, just everything that's going on, all the change. And it's like, at the end of the day, you just, you got to just find a way to work hard and figure it out and do whatever is best for you and your family. Heck yeah. Always. That, that, that comes first for, for me, at least. How has it been as a dad and, and a husband and, being locked in the house when you're a guy that is so used to being on the road. How was that <laughs> downshift for you? I did it for a few weeks and then I couldn't handle it anymore. I just went out and got a job, like I was saying. But, um, <laughs> you know, not not that I don't love my family. It's it's just that, you know, I, I, had to, I, I have this fire underneath me. Like, I've got to provide. i got to find something. i got to, I you know... It's, it's weird whenever I just go out and get any kind of job when I'm in any kind of situation, because I've been in this a lot. Uh, there's a lot of peaks and valleys in, in, in the music game, you know, like I didn't start making professional money. Profe- I didn't make money professionally from music till I was 26. And I've been at it since I got out of high school. So um, I had to basically work two jobs all the way up into that time where I was working a day job and then going to music at night and, you know, crashing on friends' couches and (laughs) trying to figure out how to put gas in the car. Yeah. That's where good rock and roll comes from. All that stuff. I've worked my ass off for it. So, um, you know, to get back to it was humbling. I can't say it wasn't humbling, but after I got in it, I was just like, I'm fine. This is, you know, I have no problems just getting up and getting to it. And, and then it's weird. It's like, it takes the pressure off of me. Even when I'm working some odd job, I just, I feel better about myself. And then the pressure is off of me. And then all of a sudden, all this other stuff just starts coming in without any effort music wise. So, you know, we've been very fortunate. We got on a great new label called Round Hill Music this year. Um, we're, we, like I said, we're, we're in the studio making a great new record. And, and also uh, November, uh, it's November 11th. 11th is the um, the uh, online performance. So you guys can go out there and get tickets right now. It's at 5 p.m. Uh, Eastern. But if you buy a ticket, you get the you get the performance uh, streaming for 48 hours if you can't make it at that time. And and uh, yeah, it's going to be a, we're, we're playing a whole show and it's uh, 14 songs and it's going to be fun. So if you need your Buck Cherry fix, go out there and get um, buy a ticket. I, I think it's really interesting. I love that the bands are doing these live streams, not only because it gives you guys something to do, but it gives us something to watch because as music fans, we're 
dying to go to shows. I mean, we want to, we, that's part of the whole lifestyle and experience is getting together and experiencing this live music. How do you prepare for a concert where you're not going to have an audience in the room? You know, we've done over a handful of shows this year where it's been like that. So we, we, we kind of knew what we were getting into, we're, we're getting into on this one, you know, um, it's very strange. I can't tell you that it's not. It's it's like it's really weird. So sometimes we have to say, "Okay, guys, this is a paid rehearsal. Let's just go out there and you know visualize in your mind that we're you know at Madison Square Garden or whatever. You know that's what we do, honestly. You know, and and uh, once we're on stage and we're all together, we we enjoy each other's company. Like this band is, yeah, it's hitting on all cylinders. The the best musicians we've ever had in it, and and uh, it really shows. When you talk about, you know, the band and everybody, you know, you've had lineup changes over the years. You've alluded to it that you're like the last man standing now. Yeah. When when you go to kind of replace a member, the personality and the the work ethic and all of those things, not just the 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 musical ability, it's like it's almost like you're you're trying to pick a family member. Like when yeah. you're born, you get the siblings you get, but then to go out and try to find one that fits in with the rest of the family, that's got to be hard. Yeah. And it's weird now that we've done this for uh, a few 21 times, years. Uh, yeah. But I mean, as far as getting new members in the mix, um, you know, Stevie and I were talking about this the other day. I'm like, you know what? You really don't know who, who the person is till you're, till you're in a band with them for about two years. And then you kind of know exactly what's going on because when people get into the mix, they put on their best, you know, it's just like when you start a new relationship, you're on your best behavior and everything's amazing. And then as soon as you guys have banged for like six months, it's like, okay, here's the real person. I'm not shaving. You know? <laughs> the, I got, real, the real I got, person shows up. <laughs> I got dry skin on my heels. <laughs> I got no makeup and my hair in a bun. You're lucky yeah, if I'm wearing underwear. Like, oh, and by the way, I don't want to be bothered in the morning and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So. And then, but, uh, you know, you yeah. guys get tested where you're crammed in a tour bus, too. Yes. Where it's like you start getting annoyed. You don't have very many places to go. That's what I mean. It's like, okay, you got to have good musical skills. But then we're looking at you as like, can we live with this person? Because we're going to be like really living with this person like right away. It's it's uh, it's challenging. And it's, it's, it's honestly something I never thought would happen. I, I always wanted to be in one band my whole career and everybody stayed together, but it just didn't work out that way. And, and it's okay. You know, I've accepted that now, you know, that that's just the way it goes. And it's very hard to keep five guys aligned and focused on one thing. It's super hard. And I didn't know how challenging that was going to be. And, you know, um, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we always just want to make the situation better. And that's what's gone on over the years. So. That's all, well, it's, I, mean, all you, I can ask for. You talk about it being like a relationship. I mean, I'm I'm a divorced person that's been newly remarried. And it's like you don't right. go into anything thinking that it's going to end. But you also realize after the fact that you kind of needed to go through that to, to grow. And, and yes. as you make these changes, you start really understanding yourself a little bit better as well and and it's hard to look at it as a learning thing because it's a breakup in in any sense and it hurts and it you get angry and 
whatever. And it's an ending and a death to a certain extent, but, um, but moving forward, it, it can be, I don't want to say better, but, but you find a way to kind of heal and learn about yourself and, and set boundaries and goals for yourself. And it, it, there is a way to move on and be happy. Absolutely. Just like you're saying, I mean, I've had to do a lot of reflection, a lot of work on myself through every transition. And, and like you said, it's, it's just a learning process and that's what life is. It's a, it's a journey, not a destination, right? So, uh, we just keep plugging away. Uh, one of the things that also keeps coming up every time I talk to somebody, um, Nashville continues to be a topic of conversation with the interviews because it seems like every freaking rock band out there right now is either living in Nashville or recording in Nashville or rehearsing in Nashville. You're there right now. What is going on with the rock scene in Nashville? I don't know if it's a rock scene. Uh, you know, Marty Fredrickson. It seems we, like we... you guys are are like inv- it's always been a music town and a country town. But it seems like more and more rock bands are there now. Well, we're just here because we have a relationship with Marty. And when we started working with Marty, he lived in California, you know, so he's lived here for a lot of years now. And it's just as far as the budget and and working everything out, uh, when you when you look at a record budget, it just makes more sense for us to just come here and do it here and and go home, you know. So um, that's the only reason we're here. It's not like... uh, you know, there's some special thing going on here. It's just that Marty's here. And so we're like, let's just go there and get it done there. But um, yeah, I understand there's, I mean, there's a lot of songwriters here now and there's a lot of, you know, people living here now because it's, it's cheaper to live. But I mean, now that everybody's moved here, it's starting to get more expensive to live here. But um, uh, I think a lot of people live on the outskirts, you know, not necessarily in Nashville, but um, they come into Nashville to record and stuff like that. There's just a lot of studios. Talk to me about a producer like Marty Fredrickson. And for anybody that is going to be Googling him while they're listening to this interview, he's yeah. worked with everybody from yeah. Aerosmith and Motley Crue, Buck Cherry, obviously. But then he's worked with Carrie Underwood and Faith Hill. And he's written these massive, I mean, he wrote Sorry with you guys. He wrote, he wrote Jaded Sorry, with, yeah, yeah that, that yeah. you know, Jaded with Aerosmith, like some of the the bands and artists biggest songs talk to me about what it's like to find somebody that, you know, when we're talking about replacing a band member. He's not in the band, but you've got to have a special relationship to be able to create and work on music with somebody. No, we have a really, really good chemistry um, with him. And uh, you know, when you find that you got to just stay on it, you know, because we, we've written with other people and it just doesn't click like, you know, when we write with him and, and maybe some people write with him and they don't click. I don't know, but it just works out for us. He becomes like the sixth member of Buck Cherry when we work with him and it's effortless and fun. And he's really talented guy and he brings out the best in us as well. And, and so we always get great songs. So um, that's why, that's why we do it. And he's uh like you said, he's written with so many people and, and, uh, He's, he's, he's a really talented guy. He can, he can play every instrument. And, you know, he's really great with melodies as, as well. And, you know, he can, I can be recording a vocal and he can be like, Hey, sing it, sing this line like this, just try it like this. And I'd be like, okay. And he'll sing it for me and I can hear it, you know? And I'd be like, okay, great. It's like when you don't have a producer that knows vocals, you know, it's, it's a drag because it's such a huge 
part of everything, you know, like it, it literally drives a record is, is the melody and the vocals. And at least in my opinion, and maybe that's because I'm a lead singer, but uh, um, I think a lot of other people would agree with that, but you know, he's, he's good with that. And he started as a drummer as well. So he's a really good drummer and he can play guitar really well. And, you know, he can just break down any song. And so, you know, we have really good songwriting language between he and I and Stevie. He, it's great. for anybody that doesn't know, he was the voice behind the band in Almost Famous, Stillwater. Like he sang those vocal parts, the actors portraying the characters in the movie didn't sing it. He actually sang it. So when you talk about him understanding vocals, he's, he can sing. Yeah, he can. Can you can you give me an example? Like you were saying that, you know, he co-wrote Sorry with you. So you come up with an idea for a song, whether it be a lyric or a melody or whatever. But I always I always am fascinated with the producer relationship and right. how an outside perspective can help make something because music is so personal for the artist. So can you like in Sorry or another song that you've written with him? To give yeah. an example about what the vision was in your head and how he was able to kind of get in there and tweak it and make it better. Right. So I wrote the whole song, sorry, on three chords, three chords on a guitar, just something to noodle around the house, uh, something G rated to like sing to my youngest daughter at the time. And, and that's how it all started, you know? And uh, then we were writing cut to, we were writing all the songs for the 15 record and I, I went to Keith at one point when it was time, when we, when you have to really pick the window to, to like introduce a slow ballad song, you know? So we had written a lot of rock songs. So we were tired at that point of, you know, up-tempo rock songs. And I was like, I got this song. I think it could be really cool. And so I played him Sorry. And then he took it and kind of tweaked a couple chords and we, we brought it kind of to the next level, but it just wasn't quite happening, right? And we're like, well, this is one of these songs we could take to Marty and see what he can do with it. And we brought it to Marty and Marty would like, he just changed the way I was singing the melody and the chorus a little bit. And I, and I can't really remember what the difference was, but it was like this really subtle thing that I was singing in the, in the, in the chorus. And it just went, it just totally opened up the song. It was like, wow, that's amazing. And then he's like, and then he came up with the the bridge chords and he just started scatting out like this melody over the bridge chords. And then I, I was like, I like that. And I went back and I wrote words to the melody and, and then that was it. And it just came together like that. And so sometimes you need that outside perspective. Yeah. It was just get that get little, it out of your head. It was that little push that made it a song that would just never make a record to a song that made a record and, you know, uh, was another, got you to another level, you know? That's how, that's how crazy it is. Just those little subtle changes. Are you guys going to play any of this new music that you're working on right now on that live stream on the 11th? No, no, no. We're not ready to do that yet. But uh, I mean, we have so many songs we can't even get to because we have eight records out, you know, and you got to do a 14, 15 song set. And it's like, man, we got to make everybody happy. And, you know, you have to have all the usual sus suspects, which are, you know, crazy bitch, sorry, and lit up and riding and stuff like that. So it's tough. It's tough getting a set list together these days. What have you been doing? Like for me, I have been trying to get outside mm -hmm. the best that I can because you get claustrophobic and 
you know, starting my company and building, I call it MCHQ, my studio that I do the podcast out of and everything. But I've needed to get outside and I know, you know, racing and all of that has always been a passion for you. Is that what you've been doing to kind of not work, to kind of escape and get outside and get some fresh air? The racing was taking so much time away from my family because I have to drive an hour to get to the track and then I have to spend a whole day there. And, you know, my son is almost 12 and I tried to get him into racing, but it just wasn't his thing. So I couldn't even make it more of a family affair. And so I had to put that on the sidelines. So um, I took up tennis and I, I played tennis like crazy. Really? Yeah. Tennis is my new obsession. Um, I played a little bit when I was a kid. I just love competing, you know? So um, I played a little bit as a kid. And, and so I, I jumped right in. I just started doing YouTube videos and practicing. And now I take, you know, lessons from, you know, uh, I'm in and I got into the USTA, which is a tennis organization. And, and uh, I play a lot of matches with a lot of men my age and my uh, skill level. And I have, a, I really enjoy it. I did not expect you to say tennis. Yeah. That yeah, one, that, that you got me with that one. It's, it's, uh, it's a really challenging sport, you know, you should, uh, it's, it's I've tried it's, it before and you know, it's fun, but I suck. Yeah. Once you get past sucking and you like kind of work on the fundamentals and it gets really, really fun and it's super challenging. Like, you know, you're never, you never like at a place where you're like, I'm going to go in and just crush this. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, you know, and you don't know what, showing up and nerves play a role and it just takes all of my focus and it's really good escape for me and it's uh, socially distant. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. (laughs) Have you been able to get the 12 year old into it? Uh, Yeah. My son, uh, he takes uh, lessons and I go with him to his lessons and, and I started, he, he has a coach and I, I liked his coach so much. I started taking private lessons from his coach and um, we have a lot of fun. But we, we're not playing each other yet. He's not at that level. What's changed being a dad, being this accessible with your kids this year that you have not been able to do before? I mean, if you, when you talk about like, you know, self-reflection and all of that, like, what's it been like to be able to be way more present? You know, I'm pretty present because, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I've, I've been sober all these years. So I mean, very, like physic, <laughs> physically present yeah, just because physi- you're not touring. Phys- yeah. Physically present is a whole different thing, but you know, um, I'm very hands-on when I'm with my kids, even when I'm home. So, um, uh, you know, we, I, we do a lot of stuff together. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very physically active. So my son and I go skateboarding a lot. We'll go to like public skateboarding parks and just kill, kill a day at a public skateboarding park or, you know, I'll take my, my daughter to, uh, she's very girly girl. She likes, you know, we'll go to the mall or if, when the mall's open or, or, uh, we do a lot of things where we walk around the neighborhood. We'll walk to Starbucks. That's our whole thing. We like to walk and talk. So I kind of get caught up with her walking to Starbucks and we have our Starbucks and then we walk around the neighborhood for a while and, and come home and that's lovely. And same thing with my wife and, uh, you know, California has been pretty strict, a lot more strict than everybody everywhere else. And so we haven't been able to do a whole lot. So 
we're doing a lot of walking around the neighborhood, you know, <laughs> and yeah. we do a lot of that. And, but now we're able to go out to at least some restaurants outdoors, which is nice and doing that. Yeah. And but, you guys, um, we've been able to do that too here because Massachusetts has been pretty strict, but obviously, you know, the weather is changing here and yeah, it's, you know, it's unless drag. you, unless you want to put a snowsuit on and go sit outside and eat at a restaurant, like as Man, the weather I, gets colder here, it's, I'd have a treadmill and a, you know, a rowing machine. I'd be like working my ass off in the house. If I don't like get the let out every day, I go bananas in my head, you know, that would just make me crazy. When you've been a musician for so long and, and, you know, you're very, you're, you're one of those people that I know that's always been incredibly vocal and upfront and honest about your sobriety and the band, you know, it's been 21 years, but you've been sober for 26. Mm. How are you handling your health and maintaining um, not only your physical health, but your vocal health differently now than you were 20 years ago? Oh, my God. It's it's changed so much. I have to do so much, you know. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of vocal exercising, even when I'm not singing. So that that's like a lot of scales and everything. I do scales like literally every day. So if I'm not singing, I'm doing scales. Um, and then you got to take care of your, uh, your cardiovascular, which I'm really good at. You know, I do a lot of uh, working out and physical activity and, and so um, all that stuff. And then eating right, you know, not tomato based, uh, food, anything that gives you kind of acid reflux, you want to stay away from, you know, stuff like that. No carbonated drinks, uh, room temperature water. It's, it's no fun being a singer. I never learned that until the band started coming into the AAF studio to play acoustic over the years. And we would say, oh, yeah. you know, is there anything that we can have? And they would always just be like, make sure you have room temperature water for the singer because yes. the cold water. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I don't well, think people realize what that can do. Well, think about it. You know, you it, if you were like let's say in a boxing match and you're boxing and then somebody just took, you know, cold water and just like sprayed your whole body with it. Your muscles would get tight. You wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be flexible, you know, and that's the same thing. You don't want to splash like cold water on warm focal folds. You know, it's just, it make it very difficult to sing. Not only that you risk injury because if you're like pushing your voice at a certain level and then you throw cold beverage over it and you keep pushing your voice at that same level, you're going to give yourself a note or something, you know, you have to be very careful, you know, and, um, I don't even drink water when I sing live anymore. I don't drink any water when I sing live. Cause once I warm up, I want my pipes to be flexible, even room temperature water. I can tell the difference when I sing my next note after I take a, a sip, you know? So, um, I remember I was watching Steve Perry uh, on a journey live video and I was like, man, that guy doesn't, that guy doesn't take a sip of water ever. Like he's gone from song to song to song. And this guy is like his vocal technique and everything was like so insane, you know, insanely good. And so I was like, after that, after watching him, I was like, I'm going to try this. And I started working on it and, you know, cutting the cord, you know, not having any, water there to like it was almost like a nervous thing i would just take a sip every after every song you know and so something I to do it. in the in the awkward silent moments when you're on yeah. stage and sometimes i'll see i'll see like young guys that haven't 
toured a lot and they'll be like pounding like cold beers during their set and all this stuff. And I'm just like, those guys have such a rude awakening if they start doing like, you know, 150, 200 shows a year, there's no way they can maintain that and keep your voice healthy. You know, it just doesn't work. Do you, when you talk about vocals and and these are always subjective answers to questions, obviously, but you talk about a Steve Perry as a vocalist, is, is that your bar? Like who's in your Mount Rushmore of vocalists that you're just like, that's the fucking high bar right there. Oh, well probably Prince, you know, I mean, he was always the, the, you know, as far as his range. And I mean, if you want to talk about like range and vocal technique and everything, it's for me, it's Prince or like Bruno Mars is like the new Prince and his, his vocal range is ridiculous, you know? And, and so guys like that, I really, uh, I'm like, you know, Oh my God, you know, I've like worked, I've, I've developed a, a falsetto uh, after, after years and years. I never thought I even had a falsetto because I had, really pushed my voice so hard that I never had a falsetto. And, and so I've had to train and train and train a different, I had to, you know, once I hit like 30, I had to really uh, learn a whole new way of singing because the old way wasn't working. You know, I was doing a lot of things wrong in my technique. So, um, yeah. So anyways, that being said, uh, those guys are like, you know, got the biggest, amazing as far as like rock music i don't know you know like new rock guys all or the, just all rock the, in general i mean you brought up steve perry it's like you go back and yeah. watch those old journey performances and it's like holy shit all those old guys like you know like lane staley was like a really in, incredible vocalist you know probably one of the best vocalists that ever came out of that seattle scene was lane staley you know him and chris cornell of course and so i look up to those guys as well and you know just you know i don't know in the last decade there hasn't been singers that really in rock music that really sing like that you know so um i always go back to those the older guys when you are warming up i i've seen you do it i've been around backstage and you lock yourself in a room and i know you got to go and cut vocal tracks today so yeah i gotta get off here soon yeah so so can you go through like one of the things that you do to warm your voice up and, and talk about how it is that you do it? I know you're, you're laughing. You're like, Oh, are you kidding me? But it's really fascinating. You know, uh, I do a morning vocal warm up where it's just humming, you know, and it's just like, and so on all the way up your range and then down and, you know, and then you go into me, 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 and A's and O's and all the vowels basically in the in the uh, alphabet, you know, and and you just keep going uh, all the way up and all the way down and all the way up and all the way down and all the way up and all the way down until you uh, do that for about, you know, 35, 40 minutes. That's what I do. Some people do it less. Some people do it more. And then you got to kind of wait about 10 minutes. You know, and then because what you're doing is you're like, it's like a rubber band. You're like stretching and pulling and stretching and pulling and stretch. You know, it's going out and in and you're going farther and farther. And so then you need to rest a little bit and then you go and you just sing. And just go. And drive the people crazy that are around you that have to listen to it every day. Then you just go and get it. Yeah. (laughs) You do the best you can. 
Well, the the live stream is on November 11th. Um, I'm going to put the link to buy the tickets in the description of the podcast. So when people are listening to it, it it'll make it easy for them to get tickets. Um, it was so good to see you. Hold on. Yeah, do your thing. Yeah, it's probably Steve. Hi. Hi. I'm not checking out. No. I'm sorry. I'm What's that? He's in his hotel. I'm okay. You okay? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's all right. No worries. You too. You might checking out. They're trying to kick you out, Josh. They're trying to get me out of here. <laughs> Did she at least offer to leave a mint on your pillow or something? She offered me towels, and I probably would have t- taken them, but I, I just wanted to get her out so we could finish up. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I was going to say is it was great to see you. Yeah, it's um, great to see you as well. Starting my company and and launching the podcast and thank you. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not easy to do. And the fact that there isn't a place in the Northeast anymore like WAF that can play this new music. I mean, all the rock stations now are classic rock stations. And so to not only lose a station like that and know that it's not going to get replaced as a fan of someone that grew up listening to AAF. It's a huge loss for me, but then bigger, it's such a huge loss for the region because you know what a rabid rock audience we have up here. And now to not have that outlet, you know, that's why I started my company and launched my podcast because I want to keep this rock scene alive and moving forward and keep us together and be able to not only talk to bands that we've known and loved for years like Buckcherry, but to be able to support your new stuff and then to be able to hopefully discover some new bands that people haven't heard of before and turn them on to some new music. It's like there isn't another way to do it. Yeah, and it's great that you're, you're providing that service. And it's crazy because WAAF, I remember, used to be one of the big ones. Like if you got WAAF and this other station, then you guys are like, then all the other ones open up or whatever they would say at the time. And that's, that's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. And so it's just the fact that all of the bands, yourself included, have been so supportive of me and my new endeavor and, you know, as soon as I reached out, it was like, well, yeah, of course. Like, there's no hesitation. There was no no. It just, it means a lot that this has been such a scary year for everybody with the virus. But for me, you know, I had a few weeks notice of kind of having my world implode when the station got taken off the air. And so, you know, to to go through that mourning period and then to realize, oh, okay, well, I'm not just going to go and get a job at another radio station because, COVID's affecting everybody now and I'm going to have to do this on my own to get the support from the bands and the musicians um, has been so important and it means the world. So I want to thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it was a no brainer for us. So it's great to see you and, uh, and I love what you're doing. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys are working on new music and do you have, are, are you waiting on release dates and all of that for next year based on how things go? Yeah, we're in a holding pattern because we're not going to release a record and not go tour on it. You know, I, yeah, the, the, you, you work too hard. It already happened to you last year to a certain extent that you couldn't finish the tour. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel bad for all the bands that had records coming out this year. I mean, that's, that's tragic. You know, I'm so glad that we got to release our record last year. I mean, at least we made that window, but, um, yeah, we're just going to kind of be see what what goes on here and um I'm 
we're hoping that we get the record out like right before the start of the summer next year. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be next year sometime, but as soon as we can get out on stage for sure. Well, but in the meantime, uh, November 11th, November 11th, you can watch you guys from the comfort of your very own home live online for 10 bucks. You can see us live a whole show and you get it for 48 hours and it's at 5 PM Eastern, November 11th. And Again, if you can't make that time, it streams for 48 hours if you uh, buy a ticket. And we'll see you at the Rock Show. Yeah, and when you guys finally are able to get back on the road and you obviously come up to New England, you and I will sit down again in person this time. For sure. We'd love to. All right, I would love that. And uh, All right, go. And good luck with your mom, you know. Keep yeah, the, the whole and- family thing and being a newlywed during a pandemic when he's deployed it's like can you just throw one more fucking thing into 2020 (laughs) hey the fact that we found out aliens are real this year and nobody's even friggin' talking about it just shows you how crazy it's been i mean that's like how could you not know that aliens are real when you look up in the sky and see how many stars there are not to think that there's not another planet earth somewhere you know i know I believe in them, but the fact that the Pentagon was like, yeah, the video that Tom DeLonge from Blink-182 had on his alien website page is actually real. It's like, we live in this fucking weird place where Tom DeLonge from Blink-182 is now a leading expert in extraterrestrials. (laughs) What the fuck? It's nuts. It's It's nuts. It's crazy. Well, I'll let you go finish your vocal warm-ups and, and uh, get to me, the recording. Me, 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 <laughs> Yes, I will. I'll see you in a sec. I'm going to go uh, work. Yeah, go get to work. Right. And then if I ever need my blood drawn, I'll hit yeah, you up Yeah, if and you ever you need know. your blood drawn, anyone out there, I'll get you. I'll stick you. <laughs> Bye, Josh. Right. Thank you so much. Take care, darling. Bye. See ya. Well, there he is, Josh Todd from Buckcherry. Now you can... (laughs) Uh, Don't forget, linked in the description of this podcast is the custom playlist for this episode. Tons of great Buckcherry music in there. There's also links uh, for everything Buckcherry, including the live stream coming up on November 11th. So click the link and get your tickets. I want to thank once again Latini Creative Solutions at latinicreative.com and the Main Hair Lounge at mainhairlounge.com for sponsoring this week's episode. Thanks to everybody who has a Mistress Carrie backstage pass, which you can get on Patreon, and also everybody that's been having me make custom cameo videos on the Cameo app. Just search Mistress Carrie. I love doing that. If you like what you heard, click subscribe. That way you don't miss an episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, new full-length episodes every Wednesday, and the sit rep, Monday through Friday. All your headlines and music, everything you need to know in under five minutes. So if you click subscribe, you'll get everything. And if you don't mind leaving a five-star review and a comment, that would be awesome. And join me live every Tuesday night on my Facebook page at 8.30 for Cocktails in the War Room. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 